the traditional way is now the modern way to stand out because of the focus on digital. If everyone's creating eBooks, if you print your book, that's a way to stand out. If everyone is sending their packaging and you put a handwritten letter in there that's printed on a nice card that is embossed and you can feel the texture of it, then that's a way to stand out. Welcome to Megaminds, the podcast that unlocks the secrets needed to scale your business from seven figures per year to seven figures per month and beyond. On the show, we pick the brains of leading business owners, marketing geniuses, growth experts, and serial entrepreneurs, tapping into their minds to uncover the true formula for e-commerce success. Now enjoy the episode and don't forget to subscribe. Hello and welcome back to Megaminds. I'm your host, Evan, and today I am joined by Lewis Garotti. Lewis is the founder of 292 Creative, which is a branding and print agency. Uh, Lewis has been in the print industry for decades. And as soon as he was old enough to be able to work, he was designing, he was creating graphics, and he's gone on from then to live the entrepreneurial life and start up his own business. So during that time, Lewis has worked on big branding projects with the likes of Mercedes-Benz Australia, to name one of his bigger clients. He started 292 in 2016, and he hasn't looked back since, working with the likes of Mercedes and putting a big focus on his traditional design work in terms of car wraps and big traditional projects like that. He's obviously a big car lover himself as well. But we're going to dive into his branding background. We're going to dive into his personal growth story. And I'm really excited to pick your brain, Lewis, especially because we talk so much about digital here and you are definitely more on the traditional side. So I'm looking to see why we should not write off traditional in the modern day and age. So without further ado, Lewis, welcome. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Evan. It's a pleasure to be on the podcast with you. So I've given you a little introduction, but I'd love for you just to get us up to speed on how you got to where you are today in your own words. How did you become an agency founder? And what motivated you to want to start your own business in the first place? Yeah, of course. Uh, so I started the business 292 Creative in 2016. It was started as just a, a little side hustle just for some extra cash, to be honest, with my wife. Uh, that was based out in our little unit in Mill Park, Victoria, Australia. Um, and as time progressed, obviously, we got quite busy. Um, and then actually during COVID, I was at my previous job and we got reduced to three days, like as everyone did with the you know, amount of working hours and the lockdowns and everything like that. And it actually gave me a bit of time to work more on my business and focus on the clients, gaining clients that I had or have still. Uh, and yeah, that, that actually allowed us to sort of boom during COVID and I got quite busy to the point where I had enough to, to finally go out on my own, which originally wasn't the, the goal. It was more of a side gig, but I thought, you know what, if, if I don't do it, I'm going to regret it. Um, and I, I sort of thought to myself, just, just do it. What's, what's the worst that can happen? Give it a go. And that was in, that was about two years ago now, I went out on my own. And ever since then, we've, we've just been growing and growing and um, 
it's been it's been an adventure. Yeah, I'm sure it has been. And we have seen so many stories of businesses emerging out of COVID and that it did for many turn out to be a bit of a blessing in disguise because as you said, you were forced back to reduced hours only three days a week. Maybe if that hadn't have happened, you wouldn't have taken the risk to start your own business and to fully invest in it. So I guess hindsight is always twenty twenty, but it is interesting to see all of the success stories that have come out of that time. What we did see in COVID was a lot of people not going outdoors more, certainly not as much as they used to, which meant that traditional advertising in the form of billboards, car wraps, street signs, uh, airport banners, even interactive things that you would see at train stations, these weren't being put in front of people's eyes. And so traditional media at that point did take a really big hit. So I'm curious from your perspective, now that everything is reopened, where does traditional media sit in the wider marketing landscape, given that so many brands have pivoted to digital and are looking to use Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Google, et cetera, as their main sources of advertising? For me, physical advertising, wide format or small format, is always going to be relevant. Yes, you can get a, a great wide range of social media marketing, Google AdWords, whatever, but there's always going to be a different feeling to be driving around with the brand on your vehicle than there is just chucking a Google AdWord out of there. That's the same with, I guess, small format, slowly, slowly, slowly starting to, starting to be weeded out. Um, like, you know, it's your traditional flyers and even these these days business cards. Now they've got digital business cards where, you know, you get one card and people just scan it, goes on their phone, which people are innovating with that sort of thing. But obviously the print industry is obviously, obviously suffering from that. But there's always going to be a demand for unique printing, such as, you know, booklets, fancy booklets for um, new building developments where they want to showcase the floor plans and stuff like that. That's, that's always going to be relevant because, yes, you can display that on an iPad, but everyone's using an iPad these days. Like you want to have a point of difference. And that's where going back, like we're even going back to letterpress now. That's from you know, 1950s, 60s, and people are doing that now to have that point of difference. So we're seeing a lot of that old school type of print medium come back uh, just to have a difference with, with the way that people display their brand. And going back to the large format, there's always new and innovative ways to display your brand on your vehicle or on a billboard. Obviously now they've got digital billboards. So that's where I guess your commercial signage is heading is to that digital era, but still it's part of signage. Like you're not going to get rid of that because there's too much traffic on the roads, um, whether that's signage or billboards or vehicle wraps, that there's too much potential business with road traffic pretty much. And it, it's it's always going to be relevant. Whether we go fully digital in 20 years, you're going to have digital. So it's like, if you look at 
those massive billboards in, I'm pretty sure it's Tokyo. They've got those 3D billboards where they have like the characters coming out of the screen and stuff like that's still signage and that's still very relevant. I think what stands out to me there is that the traditional way is now the modern way to stand out because of the focus on digital. If everyone's creating eBooks, if you print your book, that's a way to stand out. If everyone is sending their packaging and you put a handwritten letter in there that's printed on a nice card that is textile and embossed and you can feel the texture of it and that's a way to stand out but the other thing that you mentioned is that it's a feeling and to be driving around in a car that is wrapped in an advertisement of your brand or to see that billboard up in lights is a feeling my question to you lewis is how do you quantify that feeling how do you know if the large format prints traditional media forms are successful or not compared to the data you would get from the digital ads. Yeah, so that's where obviously with digital, you have data, you have analytics where you can actually see that you're getting an ROI. With branding, like physical branding, it's it's obviously a little bit harder to do that. Having signage on my own vehicle, obviously, the way I, I guess you get a ROI out of it is you can physically see people staring at your car. You can, like, uh, the amount of comments where you get, oh, your signage on your car looks awesome or, you know, that, that's really professional or stands out, like, it's really great. That's a sort of ROI. And to be honest, that, that sort of ROI, that feeling that you get when someone compliments on something physical that, you've spent quite a quite a bit of money on i believe is a better feeling than seeing your analytics on google adwords where everyone's getting those same analytics when you create these car wraps and have these advertisements driving through the cities representing your brands are there any tactics that you use to make them stand out from each other so you mentioned you're giving one a certain finish but what other kind of things have you implemented to really impress some of your clients over the journey? It all, all depends on the brand and obviously the budget. Mm -hmm. Different budgets can obviously achieve, and this is obviously within anything, can achieve different results. So if the client has a budget to do a full wrap, we can do a full wrap in, say, call it a, a matte black color and then do like a subtle gloss black overlay just to give it that sort of bit of an edge and then their logo in you know, white or orange or whatever their brand colors are. Where we try and be more unique is not everything on a vehicle needs to be massive. Like people think, oh, we're doing vehicle signage or even commercial signage where it's a large, wide format. And a lot of sign writers will make everything just as big as they can. But obviously coming from a, a design background, and you would know this negative space is very important. Mm -hmm. So when we design, we, we look at the actual vehicle that they have, because obviously every vehicle is different. You got a Ute to a Hyundai I-Load or you know, a Ford Transit, they, they all look different. So you go with the body lines of that specific vehicle, maybe create some sort of shape to go with 
their vehicle that you know matches the negative space and their brand in a whole so that when that vehicle is driving it all flows when you're creating these designs be that on a car or on a commercial sign or on a billboard how do you think about the consumer and the the audience psychology when you're putting these designs together and if you have any examples of brands you've done recently that you're happy to share i'd love to get a little bit deeper into the specifics of what these kind of projects look like and how they come to fruition so in terms of customers interacting with that rap a great example we actually did one very recently last week for a company called the cookie doco mm-hmm. and we did a half wrap for their new toyota high ace which is a very similar design the same design as what we've previously done on their other vehicles and the branding is very simple it's to the point um there's not much text on there if you know the brand, you're going to see it straight away because it stands out like no tomorrow. It's It's got a pale pink uh, base wrap on it with some mint green uh, graphics in it and then their logo plastered massive on the side of the vehicle and then just minimal text, very minimal. And that particular brand is growing pretty rapidly. The, the They actually started out of COVID as well. And they've got pop-up stores left right and center so people know the brand you see that down the street and you know the brand even if you don't it stands out and you're going to know you're going to want to know what it is and that's what we try and do with customer interactions when they see the vehicle they want to know what it is because it looks that good and my philosophy on the amount of information or the psychology behind what the customer experiences with vehicle wraps is minimal is always better because I've seen signage on vehicles where you've got like a shopping list of services on like the back window or the side and it's like no one's going to read that no one's going to stop and read exactly all the 50,000 things that you do on your on your vehicle it's got to be to the point and very quick because you've got maybe 10 seconds at stoplights for people to know what your brand is and it's the same and it's the same with social media as you guys know like you have three seconds with social media to c- capture someone's attention there's no different to any other advertising platform whether that's a vehicle wrap small format print your business card it's it's all the same yeah i totally agree it's all about stopping the scroll digitally. And if it's in the real world, then I guess it's about stopping the gaze. That's right. And like, for example, our branding. So my personal vehicle, I've got a Toyota Hilux and it's got a satin gray wrap on it and the graphics are to the point and they're in fluoro pink. So I have heads turning literally at every light. And that's the point of it. It's, it's got to stand out and it's got to be to the point. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think that there are certain businesses, maybe e-com businesses or service-based, more traditional businesses that are more or less suited 
to old school traditional advertising methods? Yeah, look, e-com businesses and most businesses that are based online generally will hold off on using the traditional based advertising methods such as print or signage or whatever as their e-com you know obviously most of their business is based online therefore they're going to use social media they're going to use adwords or youtube or whatever but there's always room for traditional base so say like an e-com business you're selling clothing or a product online you still have to ship that product in some way therefore you know your packaging needs to be on point it's not um it's not uh uncommon to send a thank you card with that order a business card you know if if that particular business maybe wants to do a an exhibition or an event they're going to need event signage they're going to need a pull-up banner or a marquee or whatever so eventually that business will end up using print or signage it's just a matter of when yeah absolutely you mentioned event signage i'm keen to pick your brain on that for a minute particularly relevant for businesses who are in their earlier stage and they're going to trade shows they're going to even farmers markets if they're really grassroots what kind of presence do you recommend when people are setting up their event stall what kind of signs should they have how can they give themselves the best chance of attracting attention when they're surrounded by other businesses who are trying to do the same so recently so my, my brother's got his own company as well. He he has a, a protein supplement that he sells and he was doing a trade show every Sunday just out in Thomastown, new Pipeworks Market. And initially when he started, he was actually doing Latrobe Market as well. And when he started, he just had a plain marquee with like minimal boards and wasn't getting much traction. Like, maybe one one or two people here and there might i I said to him you you need i'm your brother i do signage (laughs) you need signage yeah once we branded the whole thing he had massive banners on the walls and his marquee and a massive flag he got people left right and center and it's just that importance of number one the first and most important thing is you need to tell people what you do People were walking past, they sort of look and someone's on and then just walk past. If you have obviously your brand on you minimum, you need your logo. And whether that's on a tablecloth, whether you've got like a trestle table displaying your products or whatever, you've got a tablecloth with your logo on it. If you've got a marquee, having your branding on the marquee, whether that's printed directly to the marquee, which obviously looks more professional or a banner on the back wall of the marquee or on the face of the marquee, whatever. But first and foremost is displaying exactly what you do, your your logo, and then some key points of what your product is. Minimum, I'd say tablecloth, marquee, and or banners, and then some product to display as well. And you can go that step further and maybe put flags or depending on the actual exhibition that you're doing, 
if you're doing it, say at their convention center, sometimes I'll let you hang a banner off the ceiling, depending on, you know, your stand presence. Uh, we've done exhibitions where we've wrapped whole walls. We've done massive banners hanging from the ceiling, cutouts. Um, so you, it, it all depends on what sort of stand you have and how big of a presence you want, really. Yeah. I think that that's a really good description of your trade show starter pack for advertising. The more money you can invest, the more things you can get. But at minimum, those elements that you described should help you stand out. Now, Lewis, I do want to take a little bit of a tangent here and talk to you, not as the designer, but you as the business owner. And as a service business owner, you need to get clients. You need to make sure that there's always a steady stream of clients and that, and that you are giving the best service possible. So can you tell me a little bit about how you go about sourcing leads to get new customers in the door? From the start of my business right up until now, our, our number one lead generation method has been referrals. And the reason being is they're always guaranteed. So if someone has referred someone to me for vehicle wrap or signage, they've obviously put in a good, good word that we've done a great job. And that's almost an instant approval of a job, regardless of price or what they want. Generally, the job goes ahead. And that's because there's trust already there. So number one always is referrals. Mm -hmm. Do you have a particular system set up for your referrals or is it more of a word of mouth, case by case basis? Word of mouth. So I don't really push for, I don't, I don't give like an incentive for customers to give referrals because I believe that our service and quality speaks for itself. So I don't push our customers to say, hey, give us a referral, we'll give you 10% off. Well, no, because if our service is good and our product is high quality, we trust that you're going to refer us to your friends and family anyway. Mm -hmm. that, that's, that's always been our number one method for, for advertising and for getting new leads. The second, I guess, would be Instagram, social media. Um, we obviously post a showcase of our work on there as much as we can. Obviously, that's almost a full-time job in itself. So I personally do that myself and do as much as I can. But um, we have gotten quite a few leads that way as well, whether that's – so we've actually got two different – uh, Instagram pages, one for events and one for the commercial signage and, and, and vehicle signage and wraps. Um, the event signage, funnily enough, generates work or leads by itself without me even really posting anything because when we do events, generally there's a, a large list of people involved, whether that's like balloons or props or whatever. And those people are usually sharing our work and that has more followers than my main page because of the amount of clickbait or click-throughs that we're getting from other people's pages. Mm -hmm. So we get quite a few inquiries through that. 
and obviously the, the main page as well. And lastly, I have 23 Digital doing some of my SEO, just organic SEO. They did my website as well. And we're just doing organic SEO through Google and stuff. And that seems to be getting some traction now as well. It's been a couple of months. So yeah, the analytics that they've been sending me have been pretty good. So that, that seems to be working so far. Good to hear. It sounds like at the core of everything, especially when talking about referrals, is just having a really top quality service and the top quality products. And if you didn't have those, then people wouldn't want to talk about you. So it all starts there, but I did appreciate that, appreciate that you mentioned your organic social media presence as well and, and investigating SEO because that's one of those front-loaded efforts that can bring you the rewards down the line. Yeah, look, first and foremost, and this is for any business or product or service, you need to make sure that product or service that you're providing is as high quality as it can possibly be. Because if you have a crappy quality product or service and you go and spend $10,000 a month in advertising for that crappy quality product or service, you're just amplifying something shit. And it's no matter how many leads you get coming in, those leads are going to slowly start dying out because they just see that the quality of, of what you're providing isn't, isn't great. And you can spend as much money as you want on advertising. It's not going to move you forward. Yeah. You might bring in someone for a one-time project, but it's much harder to build that long-term loyalty if the service isn't a grade. So I guess a good tangent from that question then Lewis is as a service business who and correct me if I'm wrong here, but I would say the majority of your clients would come for one-off projects such as event setups or car wraps. People usually only have one car, maybe two. So how do you then turn those one-time customers into repeat customers? Because as a service business, that's what, that is what can take you from good to great. So we've, we've had a lot of our clients that we have at the moment that are repeat we've had from day one or from a f quite a few years. And they, it's, it's all about building trust and doing the right thing. So obviously in business mistakes happen, you know, for us, especially in the vehicle wrap side of things, it is very, very easy to stuff up. Mm -hmm. to wrap something and then have it fail or wrap something and it doesn't look great. And at the end of the day, it's, it's about just doing the right thing. If, if it doesn't look right or it fails, you fix it. That, that's it. And a customer won't blame you for stuffing it up. They will blame you for not fixing it. Because every business owner knows how hard it is in business and mistakes happen, et cetera, et cetera. It's all about making right. And that's where we have retained our customer base and have customers returning and referring is by ensuring that we're providing something of high quality and making right when 
in times that it hasn't been. Um, you know, me, myself personally, I have a high standard of the work that we output, whether that's a vehicle wrap or signage or whatever. And obviously when you, when you have staff or contractors that may not sometimes be up to that level, it's, it's even in that event, it's up to me to ensure that that level of standard is, is kept. Especially when you are the owner and the face of the brand, but if you do have that high standard, Lewis, and you do need to delegate a lot of the work to other people. How can then you become comfortable with that delegation as a leader? I guess we're bridging more into your, your leadership philosophy here, but how can we maintain that high standard when the business does grow and you get more people involved who have different skill sets and different levels of ability? Yes. Yeah, so I've trained a few people now in terms of installation of vehicle wraps and signage and my method of training is probably not um, uh, traditional. <laughs> so, and as much as this may cost myself or the company, I'm all about you learn by doing, not by watching. So, yeah, you, like I can teach someone to an extent by showing them and watching me how to do it, but I'm a big believer in, no, you do it. And if you stuff it up, redo it, because that's how you're going to learn. Now, when it comes to paint protection film and wraps, that's a very costly mistake to happen because paint protection film, when you replace a panel, may cost you up to $400 for that piece of film. If they stuff up one panel on each job, yeah, in a month's time, that might cost you five or six grand. So it's it's a very costly way of training, but it's the right way to train, especially in an installation or a, I guess a service-based um, business. So for the wraps, more so the wraps and paint protection film. Yeah, the moral of the story there is you learn by doing, not by watching. I definitely agree with you there. And I think that you know, just by the nature of your business, it's unfortunate that the mistakes do cost you a little bit more than most other businesses would, but you get that back in the long run when you train up these people. Well, that's right. And, you know, we've, we've had a few uh, people that I've trained come in and my second, my installer at the moment actually is um, catching on quite quick. And that's, because of that method. Um, and usually the employee is very reluctant to do it because obviously they don't really know what they're doing to begin with. And some of the cars that we work on are pretty high-end exotic cars. And you know, when, when you first start to work on those cars, it can be pretty daunting. Um, you know, wrapping a Lamborghini or a Mercedes or whatever, but until you do, you won't know. Until you do, you're not going to learn, and you're just delaying the learning process by 
you know, being over controlling or uh, micromanaging. I, I'm not a believer in that, in, in micromanaging or, you know, watching over someone very intensely. It's, it's just makes people uncomfortable and it's not an effective way to lead. You, it just shows that your employee doesn't trust you. And to, for an employee to put out high quality work, they need to know that you trust them to do what they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. I think especially in the creative industries where all, you know, as creatives ourselves, we know that everyone has their own process and you sometimes have to design a few things that don't work to find the one that does. And you definitely need to find your own process and your own rhythm there. So I agree again with you there, Lewis. Something I want to jump into, and this is usually my favorite part of the chat. So I don't know why I don't start with this anymore, <laughs> but I want to talk to you about personal development. And as a business owner, as someone who manages a lot of clients, manages their own team and everything you do outside of work, you do need to be able to always be improving, always be learning and find that balance between work and life. So you've gone down your own personal development pathway. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and some of the biggest learnings along the way? Well, when, when, when I became dedicated to wanting to continue this on full time, it was during a time where I had unfortunately lost my uncle to suicide and he was actually running our family print business. So my grandfather started a business when he came down from Italy many moons ago. And that was first a screen printing business and then an offset printing business. And that was then passed on to my uncle. And I saw the stresses of running a business and what that can do to someone. And then the end result of seeing someone who wasn't mentally tough enough to be able to handle those situations of the stresses of not having enough work or having to provide for employees or whatever. So when I made the decision to have a go at this full time, I said to myself, well, that's not, that's not going to be me. And I went down the path of training my mental state to be mentally tough, to get through um, adversity and, and you know, hard times. And literally that was just putting myself through shit. Like I completed 75 hard uh, by Andrew Frisella and that was the beginning of the path that I'm currently on now. So I got into fitness, you know, things like cold showers, workouts in shit weather, and that just trains your brain to, to go through the adversity and to push through, to have that grit, which then transcends into running your business. So when times are shit and you're going through stressful day and there's 10 things that aren't going right for you, I, I have seen that, that 
those things that I've put myself through has then helped me to just push through in business, just get it done one thing after the other, just, just, just keep pushing through. And mind you, I'm a very lazy person. When I was younger, I would do anything to just spend the whole day just watching TV or playing Xbox or whatever. So I, to see myself how I am now compared to what I was just proves that putting yourself through adversity trains your brain to push through anything. And I, I think now I'm at the state where I'm comfortable enough that I, I know that I won't be on the same route as what my uncle was. I think that's a very powerful story. And thank you for being vulnerable and opening up about that. To me, what I take away from what you've just said is the importance of showing up even on the days where it's a little bit harder, even on the days where it's more stressful, but giving yourself the training and the foundation to be able to show up on those harder days. You mentioned 75 hard. If anyone doesn't know that it's a program that involves a lot of fitness, really good eating and building positive habits. But aside from that, were there any other things that you tried out uh, in order to give yourself that mental toughness toward the beginning? Because if you were a self-proclaimed lazy person beforehand, it mustn't have been easy to just jump straight into something so big. So was it a matter of something really impactful and a night and day transition or was it a slow build with something else beforehand? It was, it was a slow build. Um, so I actually started a course that was from founder, the mental toughness course from founder. And that was with Jody center. And he actually takes you through steps of, to train yourself to be mentally tough. You know, that, that course is pretty much what sent me on the path of, you know, fitness, um, mental toughness, personal development health and um, so from there <clears throat> excuse me from there i did that course and started doing the the, the actions that joe de was advising you know waking up early cold showers fitness eating right that etc cetera, etc cetera. then i started to listen to podcasts based on personal development which then got me onto actually Andy Fasala's podcast, going onto that, then obviously listening to his content, starting back way back to like 2015 when he started MFCO. And um, then when he talks about 75 hard and live hard, and I'm like, you know what, I'll just, I'll just do it. Just, just I, I didn't even say I'm going to try. I'm just like, no, I'm going I'm to complete it. We'll just do it. And then from there, just honestly, it changed my life. Because um, then from there, getting deeper into personal development and now focusing mainly on health and the right foods. And and now, yeah, I'm, I'm just at the stage where I'm just trying to keep leveling up myself, really. So where do you look to now when you try to get that next level of whether it's learning or mental toughness yeah so 
multiple podcasts. I'm a big, still a big fan of Andrew Fasola's podcast. Big fan of Ed Milet's podcast. Uh, actually, also listen to Joe DeSantis' podcast, the Smart Up podcast as well. Well, actually, now it's called the Hard Way. And um, there's a few other smaller podcasts I listen to as well. So there's podcasts and also reading. Big fan of, actually wasn't a big fan of reading until I did 75 hard, actually. And you have to read in 75 hard. Yep. Now I read every day and I haven't done 75 hard for almost a year and a half. But I still read almost every day and learning through reading and even social media, just making sure that my feed on social media is full of information that's going to grow my brain, not bullshit memes or you know, stuff that really I'm just flicking through and just isn't giving me any value whatsoever. So yeah, ensuring that everything I'm looking at is feeding my brain to make me better each day. And that's also, you know, joining masterminds or networking groups, being around other people who also want to win and succeed and just making sure that everything around me is at a high level. Um, and obviously, you know, everyone, everyone's stuff's up. We're not going to be like that every day. There's days where I can't be stuff doing anything, but it's that thing of on those days is when you really need to try hard to, to push through. And that's what the whole mental toughness and uh, having that grit and fortitude is going to get you. Yeah, I love that deep dive. And just one quick follow-up question regarding social media. I think that's something that a lot of people struggle with, but you mentioned it as a positive aspect to your development. So how did you go from having social media where it is memes and people comment spamming and doing all kinds of weird stuff to having it as a tool? Was was there particular settings that you put on or timers? No, so it's just it's just about who you follow. So I make sure most of my following list are people in the personal development space, like the big name people, you know, Alex Mormosi, Annie Fasoli, Ed Milet, Gary V, all those big name people, and then even smaller people who I've come across. And if I like their content, I just follow. And majority of my following is the people in the personal development space. So therefore, my feed majority is that that sort of content. Um, obviously. If I'm flicking through reels, then I'm getting bullshit stuff and I'm getting, you know, funny stuff. And obviously when I go home, I'm just sitting on the couch or whatever, I'm sending my mates stuff. Everyone does that. But having the the willpower to, to put a stop to it is the important thing, is to put to set a time on it for that sort of stuff. Um, and the most important thing in in all of that as well is putting a stop to it before you go to bed because otherwise yeah. you're, you're just alone and you're not going to sleep and that's when you're not productive the next day, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 100%. I think that the the hour before you go to bed is the most important hour of the day as well as the first hour in the morning when you wake up and not to check your phone, keep your phone in airplane mode, actually let yourself get into your rhythm because if you wake up in the morning and you would you let a thousand strangers into your bedroom? 
Absolutely not. But if you're checking your phone straight away and you're scrolling through Twitter or Facebook, that's essentially what you're doing. So, I mean, we could talk for a long time about that, but we're running out of time. So we'll, we'll cut it there. But Lewis, before we do finish up, I have a few rapid fire questions for you. So for these ones, keep your answers short and sweet and just say whatever first comes to your mind. Okay. All right. Number one, if you could go back in time to before you started 292 Creative, your design and print agency, what advice would you give to yourself? Um, trust yourself more. I like it. You mentioned a few resources before in terms of books and podcasts and courses. Do you have a favorite? Uh, yeah. So uh, my most favorite is Real AF, predominantly the Q&AF episodes where you know, it goes on to more personal development. Um, favorite book is Ed Milet's book, um, The Power of One More, very powerful. Love it. If you have anything that comes to mind, what is the best piece of advice and worst piece of advice that you've ever got? The best piece of advice would be the concept of doing the right thing, no matter what you do in life, just do what you think is the right thing to do, whether that's in business or personal or whatever. The worst piece of advice was that life is easy because um, it's really not. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. And lastly, if you have any final words of wisdom to give to business owners out there or entrepreneurs looking to grow their own brand based on your experience, what would you say to them? It would be this, the same thing, the same advice as, as what I try and base my business off every day is is just that doing the right thing and at the end of the day say for us being a service-based business if what you're doing if you have any inclination that what you're doing means that the customer may not like it start again because that inkling that you get, that feeling that you get, usually is pretty right. Um, if you think that you're not doing something of high value or high quality, start again. And just try to provide as much value as you possibly can with the project that you're on. So for example, if someone's spending $1,000 with you, provide $2,000 worth of value whether that's just something a little bit extra. So for us, like, for example, I did a blackout on a C63 yesterday and we wiped down the car. The car was filthy, right? And obviously we need to clean the bits that we're wrapping, but I gave the whole car away. Just that little bit extra to provide that little bit extra value that the customer may not show that they appreciate, but, oh, well, the car's clean type thing. And it's those small things that will earn you trust with your customer and move you forward in growing your business. Build trust, do the right thing, and create word of mouth moments. That's Love it. it. 
Yeah. Lewis, if, if someone wants to connect with you, learn more about 292 or yourself and your own journey, how should they reach out? Yeah, of course. So our business Instagram is 292 Creative on Instagram, Facebook, or you can go to our website, 292creative.com.au. And my personal Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook is just my full name, Lewis, L-E-Y-S, Garotti, G-A-R-O-T-T-I. Um, so you can follow me on any of those pages. If, if you do have any questions about our products or services or about me personally, if I can help you with anything personal development or mental, then please reach out. We'll be more than happy to answer any questions. Wonderful. Well, Lewis, thank you so much for joining me today. It was a very refreshing episode diving into a topic that we don't usually get to explore, which is the traditional side of media and something really niche in terms of car wrapping and billboards and corporate advertising and trade shows and events. So everything there, I think, opens up people's eyes to the fact that there is a lot more to marketing than just digital these days. And traditional is still relevant. So I thank you for sharing your wisdom and also for sharing your personal story. Cause I think that I am just one of the many people who would be inspired by that tale of, you know, turning someone who was admittedly lazy into someone who is thriving and exercises every day and shows up just by that force of habit. So thank you so much for joining me and taking the time today, mate. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And um, thanks for everything you're doing for, you know, entrepreneurs, business owners, um, and just anyone who wants to level up and um, providing value to those people, um, which is, is really great. So I appreciate your work on it. Thank you. I appreciate that. And the last thing just before we go is to anyone listening, if you found this episode valuable, if you think that anyone you know could really benefit from the advice that Lewis has given, the best way to grow this show is just by word of mouth. So please just DM this episode to them and I would really greatly appreciate that. So that's all for today. We will see you next time. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning into the Megaminds podcast. If you're looking to scale your own e-commerce business, get in touch for a free strategy session.